Good morning. Uh, it's wonderful to have Carrie Ann and her husband with us today because yesterday, the day before, on Friday, was her last day in the office. And we are just grateful to her for the help that she has given to the church and wish her God's wonderful blessings as she goes on to the next uh, step of her life. Thank you for that. Yeah, thank you. And thanks for Gina for stepping in. She'll be in the office for a couple of hours uh, in the mornings. So um, bless her as she, uh, as she steps in there. And yeah, thank you. <laughs> um, and among other things uh, that, that has been happening in our office, uh, a stewardship letter has, and, and pledge cards have gone out. So take a look at those. They're in your bulletins. And um, be prepared to make commitments of your faith as it translates into the tangible offerings to keep this ministry alive and well. There's a study at 4 o'clock for those of you who are intrigued by this stuff that we're going over. And we are so grateful for uh, Gabrielle, who has already been mentioned. Uh, we work, um, the, the, the sugarcane kid, um, he, 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 he wears a prosthetic because his leg got cut off under a train when he was little. And by God's mercy, he now is able to stand up like you and me. And, and now he's helping others all across the Dominican Republic. The first prosthetic clinic in the Dominican Republic. Can you imagine that? Amazing. And um, some of us have been down there and worked on that clinic. We will again in January and then again in uh, July. So um, wonderful, wonderful ministries. So. I thank the Lord for this church and the wonderful ministries that it's had around the world. So let's take a look at the scriptures this morning from Genesis chapter 25, beginning with verse 19. Let's stand for the reading of the word. Verse 19, this is the account of the family line of Abraham's son Isaac. Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean from Padan Aran, and the sister of Laban, the, the Aramean. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife and because she was childless. The Lord answered his prayer. And his wife, Rebekah, became pregnant. The babies jostled each other within her, and she said, Why is this happening to me? She went to inquire of the Lord. The Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, two peoples from within, within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. That was unusual. 
When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red. And his whole body was like a hairy garment, so they named him Esau. It means red. And then after this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. The boys grew up. Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau. But Rebekah loved Jacob. Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. Uh, that is also why he was called Edom or Esau. Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is the birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me. Swear to me first. And so he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. And then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew, and he ate and drank, and then he got up and left. And so Esau despised his birthright. Thank you. You may be seated. <laughs> Can you picture this? Isaac and Rebekah are about to have their first and only children. They waited a long time, and finally it happened. She was pregnant. Time comes, they give birth. And the first child to arrive, they're twins and the first to be born is red he is hairy he's adorable and mom is oh isn't he cute and oh look look at that his brother is holding his heel ah. why we should call him Jacob. The term Jacob is a wrestling term. It means heel holder. Wrestling is a very ancient sport. And when two men start off, hands on each other's shoulder, and then when a bell rings and they're about to tussle, if one of them is very fast and very tricky, he reaches down and he grabs the person, the opponent's ankle, and gives him a flip and flops him on the ground, he has the distinct advantage. If he's good, 
if it's tricky. Let's call him tricky. Actually, the term Jacob, there was an idiom that sort of meant the deceiver. But he's a little baby and he's cute and he's adorable. Let's call him Jacob. becomes the story of their life, actually. The first thing that happens, our story, it says that Esau, he and his dad used to go out hunting a lot. You know, they, they would go out and he was taught him to shoot the bow and arrow and he was really, really good and he was very quiet and he was very capable and a deer comes along and, and he got him. He did that all the, every time he went out he came home with some game. He was really, really good at this. And dad just loved this kid. Hmm. Jacob wasn't that kind of a kid. No. Jacob was more of a mommy's boy. He liked staying at home. He liked spending time with them. Mom taught him to cook. And oh, he was pretty good. One day when his brother Esau was out hunting, he came home at the end of the day, and of course, he was famished. Hmm. Jacob was home cooking what he had brought in, what Esau had brought in days ago. And he was cooking some chili. That's the idea. A spicy bean soup. Something that was really, really good. And, and, and when Esau stepped into the house, the smell of it just hit his nostrils. Oh, that smells so good. Jacob, give me some of that, that red stew that you're cooking. Mm. Forget it. What do you mean, forget? I'm not hungry all day. I'm starved. I want give me some of that now. Nope. Come on. Make a deal. What? Sell me your birthright. I have to stop because there's something cultural going on here that we're not used to. The oldest son had the right, right by birth, to the largest portion 
of the father's inheritance upon the father's death. Like two to one, the oldest son would get twice as much and then whatever other sons followed, they would have to divvy that up amongst themselves. But the oldest one, the firstborn, had the right, and, and if he was lucky, if he was a, the son of a father who did very well, he would be essentially set for life. Oh, he'd have to work, but, but he would be all set. Some of your birthright. I can't do that. Fine. Go hungry. Oh, all right. I'm about to die here. What good is my birthright if I'm dead? All right, all right. Swear to me. All right, all right, all right. By so doing, Jacob reached down and grabbed his ankle and gave him a flip. He now had the advantage. He won. Happened again. Something like it. The boys get older. Dad's living out his life. He's become blind. His breathing becomes labored. And he knows the end is near. Esau, come. Listen to me. Go out into the woods, into the fields. Shoot a deer. Bring it back home. Have your mother cook it the way, I, the way she, she knows I love it. And, and, and you and I, you and I are going to sit down together at a table. And I'm going to bless you. I need to stop again. Because there is a tradition in that culture that we're not familiar with. When the father is about to die, if he blesses his children, particularly his sons, that final blessing is thought to be prophetic. Whatever he says is like the voice of God. It's going to happen. We have nothing like that in this society. So Jacob goes out, Esau goes out hunting, and Jacob's mom overhears all this. And she is crushed. For year after year after year, 
Her son, Jacob, has been ignored by dad. Oh, he takes care of us, but he doesn't spend any time with Jacob. Jacob, he's this sweet, loving, tender person. Mom has just become so fond of him. But he ignores Jacob. He spends all of his time with Esau. And now he's about to die and he's going to give all the blessings to Esau. It's not right. Jacob. Come here. I know what your father's about to do. He sent Esau out hunting. He's going to bring back a deer and he wants me to cook it. They're going to have a meal and, and give all the blessings to Esau. Listen, sweetie, just do what I say. Go out into the barnyard. Select a young goat and kill it. Dress it out. Bring it in. I'm going to cook the meat just the way your father likes it. And you are going to take this meal to him. And you are going to say, I'm Esau. I can't do that. Why not? He's blind. Well, our voices are a little different. Trust me, it's okay. What, what if he feels my skin? I'm very fair and, and my brother's all hairy. Take some goat skin, put some goat skin on there and let him touch the goat. Long story. It works. Esau blesses him with family, blesses him among the nations, blessing upon blessing. Thank you, Father. And he leaves. An hour later, there's another plate of food that comes in and is presented to Esau. I'm sorry, to, to Isaac. Isaac says, oh, who are you? Dad, Dad, I'm Esau. I just did what you told me to do. Then, who was that? Your brother. I've given to him all the blessings and there's nothing left. Jacob had reached down 
and grabbed his brother's heel, give him a flip. Now he really had the advantage. But it cost him. His brother now wanted to kill him. His mother said, go back to Haran. Find a wife there. Your father will approve. I don't want you to be marrying one of these Canaanite women. No. Go back to my, to my family. So he does. Goes back to Laban. Hmm. Uncle Laban who welcomes him and sees him. Oh, you are flesh of my flesh. My kin, welcome. It's so good to see you. Hey, come, we have a room prepared for you. You, you can work out in the fields. Oh, no, should I, just because you're a relative, should, should I not pay you anything? What can I give you? You are my kin. Well, you could give me your beautiful daughter. Rachel, to be my wife. Oh, well, I have to give her to somebody. It might as well be you. If you work for me for seven years, no problem. And if seven years comes, there's not much of a marriage ceremony that goes on here. But it's kind of romantic. On the right night, Dad takes the daughter by his, her hand and in the pitch darkness leads her outside to the tent of the waiting groom slips her inside, and quietly goes back. Only sunlight finally comes. And this isn't Rachel. It's her ugly sister. She's, she's got eye problems. The text says a weak eye. It probably means that she's cross-eyed. It, it definitely detracts from any beauty that she might have. It, she's just not attractive. And when he complains, Laban says, oh, in our culture, we always marry off the first one first, the oldest daughter first. But, but hey, listen, if you want to have Rachel for your wife, no problem. Wait a week, and then you can have her, no problem. And so now he has two wives. He never signed up for this, and it's never a good idea, and oh my goodness, the problems. But there it is. And, uh, Homely Leah gets pregnant, gives Jacob a son, gets pregnant again, 
another son. Leah, a homely one, but not his beautiful Rachel. The story goes on. I'm going to make the story brief. It's an incredible story. He ends up having nine, ten children, sons. And then, beautiful, beautiful Rachel is pregnant. Gives birth to a beautiful little boy, Joseph. And they dote on him. Oh, it's wonderful. They just love this little kid. To the point of ignoring the older ones. Working for Laban as a mixed bag, it's, it's good, it's also bad. Because Laban is better at tricking people than Jacob. Laban is really, really good. Jacob would have nothing except for the blessings of God. There's a very real sense in which in his earlier life, he spent his life wrestling with his brother, being the trickster who gave his brother a flip. And it worked. And on the second stage of his life, he's wrestling with his father-in-law, Laban. And Laban is much better at this. He has mastered being the trickster. Jacob would have nothing except God was with him. God was blessing him. Ah, oh, it's a marvelous story. Go home and read it. This is a great, great story. And finally, he must leave. He's had it with Laban. Gets his wives and his children together. The wives all understand what's going on here. And they leave. And they go back home, go back to Haran, go back to Padan Aram. They're going to go back and face Esau, who wanted to kill him. And he sends thousands and thousands of dollars worth of animals ahead of him as a gift. Hmm. Now that they've all crossed the river Jabbok, Jacob stays back. He needs some time 
alone with God. And the man who'd been wrestling with his little brother, older brother, all his life, the man who had been wrestling with Laban all of his life, now spends the night with God in a wrestling match. He just struggles. Oh, there's no intent of winning and losing here. It's just a struggle. In part, it represents the struggle of his life and and the struggle that will be ahead. And he's he's struggling and he's struggling with God. And and finally, daybreak comes and and the angelic being says to Jacob, let me go, I have to go. It's daylight. No, 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 I'm not going to let you go. And you, you must bless me. What's your name? The angel knew his name. Jacob had to wrestle with his name because it represented who he was. What's your name? Who are you? I'm Jacob, the heel grabber, the deceiver. Not anymore. From now on, your name is Israel. You're not a toe tripper. You are a man who wrestles with God. And God lets you win. That's us. Sometimes all God wants of us is to hold on. To come to grips with who we really are. And then hold on to God. Hold on to his mercy. Hold on to his grace. Hold on to his love. Hold on to hope in Jesus Christ. Hold on in the midst of a world of violence and war and hatred. Hold on to justice, believing that God will one day make it right. 
When things get difficult, hold on. When there's no way out of your problems, no way out of your pain, hold on to God. When there is no job and you don't know where to go and what to do, hold on to the provisions of God himself. When your children are crying out and you can't help them, hold on. When you feel weak and you have used up all of your resources, hold on. Sometimes in your frustration when you do wrong and you say the wrong things and you feel so stupid and sometimes you find yourself in desperate need of God's mercy and love and forgiveness, ask for it and hold on to the trust that it's there for you. We must live out our life of repentance and faith. None of us are perfect any more than Jacob was. Hold on to God's promises. Hold on to his love. Hold on to his mercy and grace. This morning we're coming to the communion table to eat of the broken bread, symbolizing Jesus whose body was broken for us. Sometimes we come to the table in great faith, Sometimes our faith seems very small, like a mustard seed. But it's enough. Hold on. We come taking part in the shed blood, symbolizing the great power of his love and forgiveness. His love and forgiveness. His love not ours. We're much too weak. But reach out and receive his grace and mercy. He is all you need. Hold on to that. If you're too tired to wrestle anymore, hold on. Just hang on to this invitation. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Hang on to that promise. Hang on to Christ's mercy. Hang on to God's love. And come to the table. Let's pray. Oh God, who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of all of us? You do not stay angry, but delight to show mercy. Will you again have compassion upon us? Will you tread our sins underfoot and hurl all of our iniquities into the depths of the sea? 
help us to wrestle with who we really are. Help us to wrestle with who you really are and with what God wants us to be. Help us to wrestle with that truth even when all we can do is hold on. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
life, the ups and downs. Joy comes from a consistent and focused relationship with Jesus Christ. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8. I'm about to close out here. I'm going to turn it back over to Kathy, and she's going to... I don't know what she's going to do. <laughs> 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy. Aren't you? Do you know anyone who's living this level of life? Joy unspeakable. Full of joy. Do you know anyone? How do we live a focused life in Christ? Verse 14, and then I'm, I think I'm done. Kathy, is that okay? <laughs> John 15, verse 14. Watch this. You are my friends if you do what I command. God expects our obedience. He expects it. He doesn't just want us to obey. He demands that we obey. Wow. What kind of life are you living? It is a, is a life that counts. Is Jesus Christ the focus of your life? That means that everything you do centers around him. Everything. I'll close with this one sentence. Christianity, a Christian, disciple, follower of Jesus, is not a part-time life, a sometime life. It is not. It's an all-time life. It's a surrendered life. Giving up of self. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, Heavenly Father, that is the cry of our hearts this morning. Your people calling. In repentance, forgive us of our self-righteousness, of our pride, of our disobedience, a selfish life. That, Lord, we come before you this morning with one desire upon our hearts, and that's living a focused life in you and through you. Lord, I pray, and this is a bold prayer, whatever it takes, Lord, in the life of your people, professing Christians, your church, whatever it takes to bring us to our knees. and live 
a life centered on you. Put it before us, Lord. Put it before us. And in making that statement, I see one person. I see Jesus Christ. And then I see the power of the Holy Spirit working upon those that are within the sound of these words, this prayer, whether it be in this building or online. Specifically, people online. You're welcome in the house of the Lord. Don't make him a life of convenience. God is calling us to be one in Christ Jesus. So, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit moves within those that have been listening, those that have ears to hear. And the Holy Spirit moves them before your throne, on their knees, in repentance. and a desire to abide, to remain in you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Please stand, respond to how God has spoken to you this morning, whether you be here physically or you're visiting us online. There are people online that will respond to you in prayer, information giving. Whatever it may, you may need in your life this morning, you can find it in Christ Jesus. Kathy?